Hey, Dr. Moses Laufer, and welcome to our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, Dr. Laufer, I need to take a moment to pause and recognize that I'm here with Danny Tiger to co-host this brilliant interview that we're going to have with you. And Danny was our guest on episode 254 of our podcast titled Beauty Beats Lime. Danny's an amazing hairstylist, but more importantly, a beautiful soul, and she's become an amazing friend to both Rich and I here at Tick Bootcamp. So Danny, can you say hello real quick? Hey, Tick Bootcamp fam. I just wanted to hop on real quick and introduce myself if I haven't met you before. If you're a first-time listener, I am a huge fan of the Tick Bootcamp community, and of course, Matt and Rich are dear brothers of mine at this point. I am super fortunate to have been able to share my story with you all. And part of my story, probably the biggest part of my story, is my amazing doctor. You guys hear me talk about Holtorf all the time. That's where I get treated. My doctor is Dr. Moses Laufer, and we are so excited and so blessed to have him on the podcast today. So with that, take it away, Matt. Well, I just have to say, we are really excited to have Dr. Moses A. Laufer with us today as well. And I'm saying that in case people want to Google him, and we'll have links in the show notes, of course, where people can go find more information. But I want to start by giving a little brief background before we get into the actual interview, because Dr. Laufer has a really impressive background. He started out in medicine over 40 years ago as an internist. He then went on to be the director of physician services and programs for the Kronos Group, where he trained more than 120 doctors across all 50 states in the treatment of thyroid and adrenal dysfunction, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, and the use of bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and nutraceutical therapy. This work allowed Dr. Laufer to realize that most of his patients were suffering from chronic Lyme disease, and that was what led him to his next change in his career when he went over to the Holtorf Medical Group, where he is today, and where he was able to help Danny in her healing journey. So Dr. Laufer is also a diplomat of the American Board of Internal Medicine, and his credentials go on and on and on. So I'm going to stop there. But again, Dr. Laufer, I just want to say thank you for joining us, and we're so happy to have you on this podcast. Thank you very much. Why don't you start by telling us what it was like being a young medical student and starting out in your career as an internist? Did you ever think you'd be where you are today, being a Lyme literate doctor, helping so many people in the Lyme community? No, not in a million years. Okay. And I mean, as you know, I mean, I mean, really, you know, recognition of, of Lyme as the underlying you know, problem for a lot of conditions is really fairly new. Okay. I mean, as you know, you know, many people, you know, were diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia. Uh, and initially, you know, it was all, you know, in their heads. I mean, they're really, I mean, because most tests, most routine tests invariably, you know, turned up, you know, negative. I mean, there were, there were no major abnormalities that could be identified. So, you know, the, the patients were labeled as malingerers or, you know, simply, you know, just didn't, didn't want to get better essentially. Okay. Uh, and really not until, I mean, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia eventually were recognized as legitimate diseases, but then, you know, the, the, the underlying, and at least in my practice, you know, the underlying, the underlying cause of about 75, 80% of, you know, patients with chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia is, is, is Lyme disease, okay? And it's not just Lyme, it's Lyme with the co-infections, okay? We talk about Lyme, Babesia, Bartonella, Ehrlichia. Um, you know, the sicker the patient, the more likely you are to have the co-infection. So it's not enough just to, you know, to, you know, to stop, you know, with the Borrelia, you know, you do have to, you know, certainly include Bartonella, uh, you know, and, and, and it, it's, it's it, it, again, the, Treatment is difficult. Uh, you know, it, it involves taking you know multiple antibiotics, not necessarily antibiotics, but you know 
treating multiple conditions, specifically inflammation, which is really the underlying problem for everything. I mean, inflammation, uh, you know, triggers, you know, immune dysfunction, it triggers cognitive dysfunction. Uh, the other thing that, you know, I have, I found over the years, you know, especially when treating patients with Lyme is that, you know, gut health was always ignored. Uh, you know, gut health, you know, yeah, you know, you have some stomach issues, take a couple of antacids, call me in the morning or take a couple, of, you know, you know, just over the counter medications. But the reality is, you know, your gut, you know, your gut is your second brain. You know, your gut doesn't work well. Uh, you know, the first place that we get inflammation is the gut. Okay. And you produce, you know, chemicals, cytokines, uh, and then they, you know, they lead to generalized inflammation. Uh, then, you know, with, when you have a severe inflammatory reaction, your immune system begins to malfunction. Uh, and eventually, you know, you, you know, you have a lot of cognitive dysfunction. Uh, so again, you know, it's important not to, not to ignore the gut. Okay. You know, part of the problem with treating a lot of Lyme patients is that a lot of the, you know, therapies involve taking medications that could potentially have a negative impact on your gut. And so, you know, you, you know, you're sort of between a rock and a hard place. Okay. You know, you have to be aware of, of, of gut function, but at the same time, you want to try and do, you know, something to, you know, address the underlying problem. So, so you do have to explore, you know, other, you know, avenues of, of, of treatment. And I'm talking about IVs, I'm talking about peptides, sublingual peptides, you know, anything to avoid the gut, uh, if at all possible. And so that's really where we are, you know, where we are today, you know, I mean, antibiotics. And when I first started you know, treating Lyme, and we're talking about 14 years ago, I mean, the standard treatment was, you know, antibiotics, uh, but it was not just one antibiotic, because as you know, Lyme, the Lyme bacteria mutates, okay? And each form of Lyme is sensitive to different antibiotics. So, you know, treatment always involved taking multiple antibiotics. Uh, and, you know, I would treat patients with antibiotics for a year, two years, and, you know, we were not seeing any, any real benefit. You know, patients simply were not getting better, okay? And so we had to start looking for other, you know, other ways of treating patients. And, you know, and again, addressing inflammation, addressing immune dysfunction, uh, just trying to, just trying to, to get the patients to be, you know, much more functional. Uh, and that is, that is the key. Uh, th does everybody get, you know, complete, uh, complete, you know, uh, uh, relief? No. I mean, some patients, you know, I mean, respond, respond very nicely and they, you know, they function without any difficulty. Other patients, you know, 50, 60%, but it's better than the alternative. It's better than where they were before. I mean, at least they're able to, you know, to have a life, uh, you know, which is really, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, and again, there are some patients who simply will not respond to anything, uh, no matter what you do. And I do, in my practice, I, I can think of at least two patients who simply, and I've, you know, I, I have tried everything that I know, and they simply just do not respond. And obviously, it's frustrating for the patient, and it's incredibly frustrating for me, um, but it does happen, and we just don't know why. Okay. I mean, that is the reality. Now, one thing from, I'm just going to jump in real quick. I apologize, sure. but I want to, I want to back up because before we get into more about the challenges of Lyme treatment and beyond antibiotics and the shape-shifting behavior of the Lyme bacteria and the deeper ways of treating that, that can bypass the gut and really geek out over that stuff. I just want to circle back to, you know, young Dr. Moses Laufer, right? Yeah. You started as an internist. What caused you to leave that area of medicine and go work for the Kronos group and start focusing on these people with thyroid issues and adrenal issues and chronic fatigue uh, and, and all those types of issues. Uh, again, it was, you know, you know, traditional medicine limits you in terms of the kinds of things that you can do, you know, for patients who have those conditions. 
And so really I was just looking, I was looking to, I was trying to find, you know, alternative ways of, of treating patients, okay? And that really what led me to the Kronos group, okay? But they were kind of, you know, they were, they were, they were looking for alternative ways of treating patients. Uh, and, and so that was very attractive to me. And that's the reason why I did, you know, why I went, I chose to go that, that route, okay? It was just, it was really just frustration more than anything else. Right. So you got frustrated of the limitations and the handcuffs and the lack yeah. of curiosity in traditional medicine. So you went to the Kronos group to explore other ways Correct. to help people because you, you felt handcuffed. Now, Correct. at that point, you were new to this and you're obviously training 120 physicians in all 50 states of the United States. What were you teaching them at the time? What kind of treatment protocols were you training these doctors in to treat these chronic conditions, which probably were Lyme disease in many cases, like fibromyalgia? and like chronic fatigue syndrome. So obviously this is many, many years ago, but what were you doing at the early stages of your career when you first started dipping your toe into the water of treating chronic illness? Really just really looking for ways of dealing, you know, with what I, you know, what we felt was the underlying problem, which was inflammation, okay? I mean, looking for different, you know, different approaches, you know, to deal with the inflammation. And, and that really was kind of the, the you know, the, you know the, the driving force of the group, okay? Um, you know, we, yes, we treated the standard stuff, you know, we treated, you know, uh, you know, we, you know, we treated thyroid disease. How, even then, though, we were treating thyroid, you know, exclusively with the, you know, with T4, okay, which, you know, I, you know, later on, you know, recognized that, you know, that really isn't necessarily, you know, the best solution for treating all patients, you know, with hypothyroidism. Okay. Uh, and so that was, that was a little bit limiting, but, you know, hormone replacement, uh, you know, certainly, you know, female hormone replacement, uh, you know, looking at adrenal, an adrenal function, uh, looking at growth hormone, you know, which is, is, you know, is always ignored. Okay. Uh, and, you know, the reality is that a lot of these patients, you know, whether one of their major complaints besides gastrointestinal issues is issues with sleep. Okay. And if you don't sleep well, obviously, you know, growth hormone is going to be an issue. And if your growth hormone levels, I mean, if you if you don't have adequate growth hormone levels, uh, you are going to pay a price. Uh, and so, you know, we found that, you know, patients who obviously who don't sleep very well, uh, over time, they develop a lot of cognitive dysfunction. Uh, and again, that's one of the, that's one of the things that we found that the growth hormone had an impact on, you know, uh, you know, in, increasing uh, circulation at night. So a lot of the, a lot of the garbage that accumulates throughout the day gets washed away and it doesn't get deposited. Uh, and so it's, it was really just trying to find, we're trying to find, uh, uh, it, it was interactive. Okay. I mean, we're not trying to look at just one system in isolation. You know, we are trying to look at the entire body, trying to find, you know, how things, uh, you know, behaved, you know, uh, you know, as a unit. Okay. And not just breaking it down and, you know, only dealing with one section. Uh, we are trying to deal with the whole, with the whole body essentially, you know, and that was really the thing that we did at, at Kronos. So Dr. Laffer, we know that inflammation is one of the main issues why many of us experience symptoms in the Lyme community. So at this point back then, not today, not some of the cutting edge things you're doing at the Holtorf Medical Center, but back then when you were with your Kronos group and you were training all these doctors, what types of tools whether it be drugs, alternative medicine, food, et cetera, you know, the wide variety of tools you had at your disposal, what were you doing to help quell inflammation in your patients that you were treating at the time? Well, again, the first thing was really addressing, you know, gastrointestinal function, okay? And, you know, the reality is that, I mean, you know, a lot of people had uh, sensitivities, not necessarily full-blown allergies, 
but certainly sensitivities that could cause you know significant you know gut inflammation. And again, when you have the gut inflammation, you produce the cytokines; those get absorbed, and then you have you end up with systemic inflammation. So you know dietary changes, you know being very you know very much aware of food sensitivities, uh, doing some uh, you know food sensitivity testing. Okay, and a lot of times you know um, those tests were not necessarily you know give you much information. So it was a question of you know, you know, trying to, you know, food diaries, making sure that people, you know, kept a very detailed food diary to make sure that, you know, if they were having symptoms after eating certain substances, we, you know, we would avoid those, you know, for at least two weeks to see what kind of an impact it had on their overall well-being. Okay. Uh, so, we, you know, we did a lot of you know, focused on, uh, on, on trying to find, you know, things that, would, you know, trigger inflammation, certainly diet can trigger inflammation, gastrointestinal dysfunction, but it was really mainly, a lot of it was really, you know, focused on gastrointestinal function. Uh, and, and that really is the thing that, uh, you know, we kind of, you know, you know to, to, to evaluate inflammation. Again, there were some of the tests that we use for inflammation today, you know, were not available to me then. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you know, sedimentation rate. Okay. Uh, C-reactive protein. Those are things that were available. Okay. Which are really, you know, I mean, for all intents and purposes, they're worthless. Okay. I mean, especially if you're dealing with somebody who's got, you know, issues with chronic fatigue, uh, who's got, you know, who's got Lyme, those inflammatory markers don't give you any information because, you know, they're invariably, they're, you know, come back, you know, either, you know, very negative or, you know, really slightly positive. So they don't really, you know, they don't really tell you very much. Okay. I mean, now we have, you know, inflammatory markers now that are a little bit more, more sensitive, more specific. And so, you know, that's, you know, those are the ones that we're using, you know, today. So we're going to get to what you're doing today for testing, but I want to better understand what brought Lyme on the table for you when you were at the Kronos group, right? Because you're treating all these chronic patients yeah. and then all of a sudden you realize, wow, many of them have Lyme disease. But well, what put the thought well, Lyme I mean, in your really, head? The reality, the reality is that even at Kronos, you know, we were not considering Lyme. You know, really we were not, okay? I mean, you know, Lyme disease, you know, was this, you know, exotic disease only, you know, only seen in, you know, in certain parts of the United States, you know, I mean, if you came from California or from Nevada or whatever, you know, the it, Lyme was not a consideration, okay? So even, even at Kronos, you know, we were not, we were really not considering, uh, an un, you know, uh, some kind of an underlying infectious uh, process triggering the, the fatigue or the, or the, or the, you know, or the, uh, the, 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 the fibromyalgia, the chronic fatigue, you know, we were not considering that, you know, really we were not. Okay. So that was, I mean, that's something that I really, I mean, not until about 14 years ago, you know, did I begin to really, you know, did we begin to realize that, you know, in fact, you know, the infection, you know, was the thing that was triggering, you know, all the changes. So tell us about that. Where were you 14 years ago in your career and what put that on your radar that infections and Lyme disease could be triggering all of these symptoms you've been seeing in your patients up until this time? Again, you know, we were, you know, we started seeing a lot of patients with, the, with, you know, with chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, and no matter what we did, you know, they were not responding. Okay, I mean, it just, it was, it was obviously, it was frustrating. Uh, and then, you know, we started looking at, you know, immune function. We started looking at natural killer cell function. We started looking at immune globulins, and then we started looking at some, some more sensitive inflammatory markers. And that's, you know, when we, when we realized that the underlying problem was in fact an infection. Okay, that was what that was what was triggering, you know, all the all the dysfunction, all the problems. And again, 75, 80% of patients, that that was their underlying problem. And so that's when we, you know, at, at that point, you know, 
you know, we realized we had been missing something. Okay. I mean, it, it, I mean, but again, you know, if you, you know, if you did all the standard tests, most of the tests would always come back, you know, negative. I mean, everything, everything normal, you know, I mean, so why, you know, why are you having, why are you having so many symptoms? Why are you so symptomatic? Uh, and again, then we began to realize that, you know, again, you know, you need to look for, you know, for other, you know, for other infections that are not, you know, uh, common. Okay. And you know, we had to get away. The, big, the biggest issue, believe it or not, was, I mean, the community is, you know, believed that, you know, Lyme disease, yes, you know, you know, acute Lyme disease, you know, was a legitimate diagnosis, uh, chronic Lyme disease, non-existent, especially, you know, if you lived in a part of the country that, uh, you know, I mean, supposedly, you know, Lyme disease was not, uh, it was not an issue. Well, I find find it interesting that back then, 14 years ago, testing was even worse than it is today, I feel like. At least now we have more private labs and we have more tools available to us to diagnose Lyme. But it sounds like you, you kind of stumbled into Lyme and co-infections by being desperate to say, why are my patients not getting better? You were frustrated. Absolutely. You were trying to figure out what it was. And then you realized, wow, mostly all of my patients have Lyme disease. How did you come to that conclusion with such poor testing available at the time? Again, you know, we started looking and really the big thing was looking for different, you know, inflammatory markers, okay, and looking for immune immune dysfunction. And and so that's what we kind of focused on. And you know, we realized that, you know, certainly immune dysfunction was prevalent in almost, you know, certainly 90% of patients who presented with chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia. Okay. And so the question was, what was triggering the immune dysfunction? And so we started looking for, you know, different, you know, different tests, okay, to evaluate that inflammatory reaction. And so, you know, that's, and, and Dr. Holter, I have to, you know, I have to give him all the credit, okay? I mean, he was very much, you know, he's very aggressive, okay? About contacting labs and trying to come up, you know, with different testing, you know, to evaluate that inflammatory reaction. Uh, and again, you know, once, once we realized, okay, that that was in fact the case, then it really changed how we approached, you know, all these patients. So you were at Holtorf Medical Group at this time, and you were, you were working with Dr. Holtorf, and that's when right. you had this epiphany, right? And right. it sounds like it was just pure determination and persistence, working with every lab you can partner with, and putting all these clues together that resulted in Lyme disease and co-infections in most of your patients, right? Correct. Okay. So at this point, I, I just want to ask, what caused the change in your career from Kronos to Holtorf, where you started to make these discoveries? Oh, essentially, I mean, Kronos... At some, you know, unfortunately, uh, at some point, uh, it, it became more about, uh, you know, uh, it really, I mean, I hate to say this, but it's just a, a money-making operation, okay? I mean, selling, you know, growth hormone, uh, growth hormone was the answer to everything. Uh, and so, I mean, we, you know, we, you know they, they lost their way, essentially, okay? And it really became more of a, you know, just a, a, a money-making, you know, operation. And so it became very frustrating, you know, uh, you know, push, push growth hormone, you know, do growth hormone, you know, more of growth hormone. And that's the answer to everything. And so that was the reason why, you know, plus I, it, I was doing a lot of traveling and it just, you know, it, be, it became very unattractive. But tell us about your early years at Holtorf. You're obviously doing a lot of cutting edge stuff at the time. This is 14 years ago, right. and you're making a lot of groundbreaking discoveries. What well, things were you finding? Like, you know, so obviously well, you're making all these connections. Is there anything, well, any cool stories you can share with us about well, your work in, with Dr. Initially Holter? with Holter, you know, our, our, our primary, our primary uh, you, know, uh, you know, focus was on hormone replacement. 
No, we are dealing with a lot of, you know, uh, line, not line, with the, you know, thyroid issues, you know, hypothyroidism, hyperthyroidism, you know, adrenal insufficiency. Uh, we're dealing with the, you know, menopause, you know, so, you know, primarily it was really just hormone replacement that we were kind of focusing on. Okay. But then, you know, we started getting a lot of patients, you know, who, who were having, you know, a lot of issues with chronic fatigue and, you know, fibromyalgia. And yes, you know, we addressed their, their hormones, but, you know, they were still very symptomatic. And so the question was, you know, you know, we've done, I mean, we're taking care of the thyroid. They were hypothyroid, we're taking care of the thyroid. We're taking care of their adrenals. You know, they're sleeping better because, you know, we replaced, you know, some of their estrogen and progesterone. But so why are they continue to be so symptomatic? Okay. And so that led to, you know, let's, let's, you know, let's find out what, what's triggering all this. And so that's where we began to look for, you know, other reasons for patients, you know, to feel the way they did. Understood. So I want to pose a question, and this there may not be an answer to this question, but it, those of us in the Lyme community experience two reactions when it comes to, I feel like, their thyroid, hypothyroidism, hyperthyroidism, and even weight gain. And I know you have, you have a very strong background in weight management and, you know, the thyroid and hormones, et cetera. So for example, I gained a significant amount of weight when I got sick. We have others that come on this podcast and lose and almost, you know, get labeled bulimic and, and get, you know, put it anorexic and get put into these in, institutions where they have to go and go through recovery from being anorexic. Why do you think, what's the interaction between the Lyme bacteria and these weight disorders that people put on? I'm just curious if you have any guesses as no, it's, to it's, why it's Lyme triggers that. It's interesting because my experience has been just the opposite. I mean, I have not had too many patients who had issues with weight loss. I mean, I would say the vast majority of the patients that we are dealing with, you know, we're having a lot of issues with actually with putting on weight. I mean, weight was, a, you know, the big issue. And some, some of it was true weight. Some of it was just fluid retention, but I'm talking about significant fluid retention. But I, I, I can't, I really, I, I'm trying to think of, you know, any patient that, you know, the problem was that, you know, they were, you know, they were losing significant amounts, significant amounts of weight. I mean, I, for us, it was always, always, now, again, there was you know, some patients who were hyperthyroid and, and, and they were uncontrolled. And so they, they were losing weight. Uh, but once you corrected their thyroid issue, I mean, the weight was no longer a problem. But you know, the vast, vast majority of patients, the issue was always weight gain. Always. What, what do you think was causing the weight gain? Was it hypothyroidism? Oh, yeah, was absolutely. it another mechanism? Yeah, absolutely. Hypothyroidism was the main cause. You know, I mean, you know, slowed metabolism. And a lot of, but even... You know, even with, you know, with the hypothyroidism, okay, I mean, a lot of patients who were hypothyroid, uh, once we, you know, we treated their underlying problem, you know, their thyroid, you know, started reverting back to working normally. They did not have to take, uh, you know, did not have to take a thyroid replacement. So when you address the underlying infection, you're saying yeah. that the thyroid resolved itself. Yeah, again, it's inflammation. You know, I mean, you get inflammation, hypothalamic, you know, hypothalamic pituitary dysfunction that triggers, you know, you know, a thyroid dysfunction. I mean, not enough thyroid or the wrong type of, you know, type of thyroid, uh, and the patients would begin to, you know, even, you know, with being, you know, calorie restricted, uh, you know, being physically active. I mean, their weights were just going up. You know, and, and obviously, you know, that's certainly, you know, incredibly frustrating because you're doing everything that you've always been told to do, and you yet continue to gain weight. Do you have any thoughts as to what the interaction is between the Lyme bacteria itself and the, you know, and the human body that's causing this change in behavior? So we know Lyme is likely causing this reaction, but what do you think it's doing chemically in our bodies to trigger this, right? 
I think it's just, a, it's just an inflammatory reaction. And the inflammation will affect the hypothalamus, which obviously controls the pituitary. And so, I mean, you, then you get pituitary dysfunction. And so all your hormones, you know, essentially your adrenals, your thyroid, uh, you know, in women, their ovaries, I mean, everything, you know, the parathyroids, everything begins to malfunction. But it's all secondary to the effect that the bacteria has on the, you know, on the, on the hypothalamic pituitary axis. So the, the, well, before I go into the next question, I just want to point out, you're in, I believe, El Segundo, California, correct? So you're in, you're in California. Correct. And you were, you were finding that the majority of your chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia patients had Lyme disease in California where people believe Lyme doesn't even exist, right? Which is kind of mind-blowing to me. Oh, no. Well, as you know, I mean, I think every state uh, except for Alabama has reported Lyme, okay? So, I mean, yes, I mean, it's, 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 and it's not just, it's not just the United States. I mean, I mean, obviously Lyme disease has been, you know, reported all over the world, you know, and in terms of, I mean, the number of phenotypes of Lyme, you know, 300 worldwide, 102 in the United States. I mean, they've, you know, isolated Lyme in birds, birds migrate. So God only knows, you know, what else we have to deal with. So, I mean, it's, no, I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, I, I mean, what is it, two years ago? I mean, there were 600,000 cases of Lyme, acute Lyme reported. Okay. I mean, is it possible that just three or four states, you know, could account for that number of, of Lyme patients? No. I mean, every state, like I said, except for Alabama, and I don't know why Alabama insists that they've never had a case of, 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 of Lyme. I don't believe every it. state, every state has reported Lyme. Every single state. Well, all right. So then that, that brings me to my next question, which I, I kind of took a pause to focus on that. But when you talk about inflammation causing a lot of these changes in the human body, one of the things we hear from our female patients, uh, female guests on this podcast, is that oftentimes they have really severe menstrual cycles, they have really bad endometriosis, and many of them have these really severe surgeries to get relief, and they simply don't until they get the Lyme under control. What are your thoughts on that too when it comes to the feminine reproductive system and all the issues you're seeing, or if you're even seeing these, these issues like we are with endometriosis, et cetera, and Lyme? Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I don't see too many cases of endometriosis. You know, and most of the patients, you know, most of the patients, most of the women patients that I see, uh, you know, with, you know, with Lyme, uh, you know, usually perimenopausal, menopausal. I have very few young patients. I mean, they may have a lot of PMS, but I really haven't had too many patients who have been experiencing a lot of endometriosis. So let's talk about your use of, because I feel like you, you, you were using some of these tools before you got into the Lyme space, but I think you're still using them as well. This bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Can Correct. you just sim simply explain what that is for our listeners in simple terms and how you used it and how you are now using it in the Lyme community? Again, you know, with, with Lyme and, you know, we do see a lot of hormonal disruption. And so it's a question of, you know, replacing, uh, but again, we're trying to, by, by bioidentical, you know, we're talking about our hormones that mimic what your body produces, okay? They're not synthetic. They're not produced in a lab, okay? They're, you know, they're, they're essentially, you know, this, the same hormone that, you know, that, that your body is producing. And so we feel that, you know, patients respond to bioidentical hormones better than they do to any synthetic hormone, okay? Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the the thyroid, I mean, with the thyroid, it's a whole different issue because most of the time people get, you know, they get replaced with, the, you know, T4, you know, uh, but that's not necessarily the best way to do it. You know, with women, it's, you know, estrogen and progesterone, you know, with men, you know, testosterone. But again, it's all, a it's just, a, 
in most of, a lot of this, a lot of this hormonal, you know, abnormalities, okay, are not necessarily, you know, things that, you know, they're going to continue to, to experience once we, you know, get control of the line. Okay. Yes. And many times, you know, when we finally, you know, get a handle on the line, we find that they no longer need the hormone replacement. Obviously, there's an exception with women as, you know, as they, you know, get close to menopause or they're menopausal. I mean, and they're having symptoms secondary to menopause. That's a whole different, but that's, that's a whole different subset of patients. Okay. I mean, their symptoms are not secondary to Lyme. They're secondary to the fact that they're, you know, their ovaries are shutting down and, you know, they, they become menopausal and they, they develop symptoms. Okay. But in terms of, you know, adrenal dysfunction, in terms of thyroid dysfunction, I mean, those kinds of things, you know, a lot of times we find that, you know, once, you know, once we get the, con the, the we get the, the Lyme under control, they no longer need the hormone replacement. They're perfectly fine. Their, their, their organs begin to function normally. They produce the, the, the right amount of the hormone and they don't need to be, you know, they don't need to be supplemented. But I wonder if this is a good tool to use while you're treating, because if you are experiencing severe symptoms of Lyme disease and you're undergoing treatment, can this tool be used, right? Can bio, can, can bioidentical hormone replacement be a helpful therapy to balance oh. your hormones while you're treating, right? To oh, give absolutely. You in, in uh, well, absolutely. Interim, right? oh, no, absolutely. And, and yes, no, we, you know, we, I mean, I would say the vast majority of patients, you know, with the, with the, that, that we treat for, you know, for uh, Lyme, okay, do need hormone replacement, okay? And they do need thyroid and a lot of them need a lot of, you know, adrenal support, you know, so no, we, you know, we, we, we definitely, we definitely use hormones, you know, treating patients, uh, you know, while we're trying to get control of their underlying problem. So, you know, there's no question about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I, I also wonder hormones and correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Laufer, but I, I feel like hormones will impact your emotions because it's, they're really chemicals that impact how you feel. And if you aren't in a good emotional state, you may not be making sound decisions to treat yourself, right? Or, or find a good doctor to oh, partner with. I can absolutely. tell you. Absolutely. It, hormones, I mean, affect, hormones can affect your sleep, can affect yes. your cognitive function, you know, can affect your gastrointestinal function, can affect your level of, you know, of, of fatigue. I mean, of, absolutely. There's no question about that. Hormones have a huge impact. I mean, I'm really grooving on this because, Danny, you tell me. I know I was stuck. Well, I know your journey is not, you know, for me, I was stuck for many years because I was so afraid. I had these emotions of fear that I typically didn't have before. And I think my hormones are all out of whack. And if I was able to find a doctor like Dr. Laufer who can help me manage my hormones, I would have made more logical and rational sound decisions to expedite my healing journey. And we don't talk about this enough where our emotions are different because of Lyme disease, because of our hormones, and therefore we don't make sound decisions. Can you relate to that thing? I think it's a very common theme we see. And it's really interesting to think about it that way. I mean, I, I really, I would be very surprised to hear that, you know, you know, you know, physicians who actually treat, uh, you know, patients with Lyme do not address their hormonal abnormalities. I well, mean, you, it's, it's, you'd be surprised. We've had a lot of doctors on this podcast, Dr. Laufer, and not many of them talk about using hormonal therapy or, or, oh, I'm, or I'm that shocked. approach. Yeah. I'm I shocked. mean, we've had people say they recommend herbal therapies that can help calm down the nervous system and take you out of fight or flight. But nobody's ever said specifically, I need to get your hormones under control. Oh. And that's an important fact. So that's why I'm, I'm harping on this because nobody's gone I'm, this deep about it with us on this podcast. I'll be honest with you. I'm shocked. I truly am shocked. That's one of the first things that you address. Okay. I mean, and, and you, you know, once you get their hormones balanced and everything else, I mean, then you address everything else, but you know, it's, that's certainly something that you have to address. Hmm. I, I am, I am surprised. I, I truly am surprised. I, I really, I, I assume that everybody, you know, everybody 
who treated patients with Lyme or chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia, you know, one of the first things that they would do, you know, would be to, ass to assess their hormonal function and, and deal with any abnormalities and correct any abnormalities that were, you know, that were presented. Oh, I, I'm shocked. I truly am. Yeah, well, we, we've put together, you know, we had over 350 people in this podcast from patients to celebrities, to researchers, to doctors, to, you know, advocates, you name it. And Rich and I put together this, this framework that we, that we, um, we call PARM. And PARM is an acronym, P-A-R-M. And, and we find that it's sort of a four-staged approach to healing. And we think like prehab comes first before you actually do any of the killing. And prehab, I think, would be like hormonal therapy, you know, allowing yourself to detox, getting yourself in a good place with your emotions. And then we, we then go into the assist phase, which is assisting your body and your, and your immune system in killing the bacteria. That's more of the kill phase. And then the rehab, you have to kind of help your body rebuild from all the damage. And then the M stands for maintenance, where you have to have a different lifestyle to prevent a, re a relapse or getting reinfected or, or being susceptible to some other illness down the road. Do you think that's a good model? Do you have any feedback for us in that model? Yeah, no, I, I, think, I, I think that's perfectly reasonable. Absolutely, yes. I mean, you know, I, I, I think that that's pretty, model, pretty much the model that we follow, okay? okay. I mean, I, 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 I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's legitimate, it's, it's logical. And, and so I, I, I really, I, I'm frankly shocked from what, when you tell me that, you know, some of these things are not addressed. Okay. The, to me, they're just, they're common sense. Uh, they just, you know, uh, maybe they're just looking for the wrong thing or they're assuming, but I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm I, 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 as you can tell, I'm kind of speechless here. I, I, I don't know what to say. Well, help us out because we, we need more information to help our listeners. So what are some tests you run to help identify what hormones are not in balance, which then guide you to well, identify what, what hormones need to be balanced through this bioidentical hormone replacement therapy? Well, you start, you know, you start with the simplest one, the thyroid. Okay. I mean, I say simple, but obviously the thyroid is essential for life. You know, if your thyroid is not malfunctioning, you don't have the hormone, you know, you will pay a price with your life, but it's in terms of what you test for the, for the thyroid. Okay. Most, you know, most physicians, when you, when they test for the thyroid, they do a TSH and that's it. You know, if your TSH is below five or below four, then you're fine and there's nothing wrong. Okay. Uh, but that's the wrong way. And the TSH has been, you know, we know that it's an, a highly unreliable test for thyroid function. I mean, so you have to look at, you know, the T4, you have to look at the T3, but more importantly, and this is something that not too many look, people look at is something that reverse T3, okay? And reverse T3 is something, it, it's it, it, the way the thyroid works, you know, you have, you know, the, the, the pituitary, which releases TSH, which stimulates your thyroid to make hormone. Your thyroid makes T4, uh, which is only about 20% as active as the active hormone. The active hormone is T3. Uh, so T4 converts to T3, but T4 also converts to reverse T3. And reverse T3 has no metabolic activity. It doesn't do anything, except it binds to the same receptors that T3 uses to get into your cells. So if your reverse T3 is really high, you know, even if you have circulating thyroid, if it's not getting into your system, it's not doing you any good, okay? The other thing that people you know, disregard is the fact that the conversion from T4 to T3, most of that conversion happens in the gut. So if your gut is not working well, your, immune, your, your thyroid is not gonna be working very well, okay? Uh, and so in most of, the, most of the patients that we have, reverse T3 is incredibly high, you know, because it's really a way of your body to try to protect itself. So you have to get rid of that reverse T3. And the only way to do that is by giving you T3, okay? You take T3, there's less T4 produced, less T4 converting to the reverse T3. The reverse T3 gets absorbed. The, 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 the stuff that you already have in your system, it's an organic molecule, gets absorbed, and all of a sudden, those receptors open up, and the thyroid actually begins to get into your system, okay? 
Now, the other, you know, then you have your adrenals. If, you're, if your thyroid is not working well, then your adrenals are trying to compensate, okay? But then they get to the point where they can't compensate anymore. And then you start becoming symptomatic because of poor thyroid function and poor adrenal function. Uh, and so it just makes you more fatigued. You're less able to deal with things. Uh, anxiety, stress becomes more of a problem. Your ability to deal with stress and anxiety becomes problematic. I mean, so you have to, I mean, you have to balance, you know, you have to take care of the thyroid, but then you have to take care of the adrenals. And a lot of doctors, you know, they hesitate to, you know, to treat the adrenals, okay? Uh, you know, they're, they're concerned, you know, if you take too much cortisol, um, you know, you're going to shut down the adrenals and then that's going to create more problems. Yeah, but again, if you go above a certain amount, then that, you, that will create a problem. So if you, I mean, if you go, you know, above 20 milligrams, let's say a day, then it's obviously, you know, it's going to be very difficult to, you know, to get you off. But I have seen so many patients who, you know, they, they, they're, they're having terrible fatigue, they're dizziness, lightheadedness. I mean, they're terrible cravings, salt, sugar, they just can't function. And then you do small amount of, you know, replacement for their, for their, for their, you know, cortisol and it changes their lives. Okay. All of a sudden they're able to function. They're feeling better, less fatigued. I mean, they're able to do things. Okay. And man, then, you know, testosterone becomes an issue. Okay. And, you know, testosterone, you know, it's not just about sexual function. Okay. Obviously it's an important part of sexual function, but testosterone plays a role in, you know, in, in motivation and drive and concentration and focus. I mean, it, it's an important hormone. And again, you know, if, if, if it gets, you know, if it gets compromised, then, you know, you have to do something about it. There's a couple of ways of approaching it. You don't necessarily have to do just, you know, the testosterone. A lot of times, again, because of this pituitary, hypothalamic pituitary dysfunction, your, you know, your, your LH, luteinizing hormone becomes compromised. Okay. So it doesn't respond, you know, to, to low levels of testosterone. So if your testosterone levels are very low, your pituitary should respond by releasing LH, luteinizing hormone, which increases the production of testosterone, okay? But sometimes that doesn't happen. And so you don't necessarily have to take testosterone. You can take something that mimics LH. And by doing that, you know, you get production of testosterone, okay? I mean, so these are things that, you know, certainly anybody can do. I mean, if you just have to do the testing and and, and not, you know, I mean, it's it's important to, to get the patient to be more functional. I mean, that is the key. And again, if your hormones are not balanced, your immune system is not going to work very well. I mean, so all these things is very, all these things are very much interconnected. Okay. And, and that's what you have to understand. Nothing in your body works in isolation, everything very much interconnected. And so that's, you know, that's the way you have to approach it. Well, I, I just find this fascinating. So we, you, you told us, and we kind of, we, we know that these hormonal imbalances are a downstream effect of an infection from Lyme disease, but you address that first to bring symptom relief. But I think it's twofold because in the prehab phase of, of your healing journey, not only are you using this hormonal replacement therapy to bring more, you know, a quicker symptom relief to the patient while treating for Lyme next, but I think it's also allowing for a more hospitable place to heal because when your hormones are not balanced, it causes chaos in your body and your body is less able to heal, right? So I think it's twofold. You want to bring yep. more quick relief to the patient and you also want to make the body more, more able to heal. And by, so, you have, so you have to balance the hormones first before treating so that the body can better receive the treatment, right? So it's really multifaceted. Absolutely. And again, if your hormones are not balanced, besides the inflammation, they will have an impact on your, you know, your immune system's ability to function, okay? 
So anything we can do to improve immune system function, anything we can do to decrease inflammation, I mean, certainly, and hormones play a big role with that. And so that certainly has to be addressed. No question about it. Again, I, I'm, 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 I guess I'm, I'm living in a bubble because I assume that everybody does that. You know, Dr. Laffer, I can tell you that's not the case. So uh, uh, that's then, not then happy I am, and I am living in a bubble. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry to say, I. I find well, we, that, need, we need to pop that bubble and, and no, expand I, I, your knowledge I, to everybody across the world. I find that incomprehensible. I, I truly find that incomprehensible. I, I just don't, I just don't, I, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm flummoxed that you tell me that there are people out there who simply, you know, take, take a couple of, you know, you know, like herbal, you know, I mean, you know, just over-the-counter medication that's going to take care of your hormones. That's absurd. That is totally absurd. Well, I can tell you, I use it. So I didn't see a Lyme specialist when I first got sick. When I first got sick, I had debilitating Lyme disease, neurological Lyme disease. I was severely impaired. I was a shell of the person. I had the cognition of a toddler. I mean, I was a sh- I, I was barely able to speak. I couldn't drive. I, I was fainting. I was, I mean, off balance, you name it. And they gave me, I have antibiotics and I was in a constant state of fear. I never had anxiety prior to that. My hormones were a complete mess. And I saw some of the leading infectious disease doctors in New York. Yeah. And all they did is give me IV antibiotics. That's going to cure your neurological Lyme disease, right? Nobody brought up hormones. And I was constantly afraid. And I was telling my doctors, I'm afraid. I'm worried about everything. I've never had anxiety before. What is this feeling I'm feeling? I feel like I'm a different person, but it was never brought up. So especially if you're treating in the mainstream medical community, you're not going to hear this. And a lot of Lyme doctors too, sometimes gloss over this topic. So I think it's really important that we're talking about this. I, so I don't want to, understand, again, I can't I, emphasize I am, enough. I am, I am in a state of shock when you tell me, I, I really, I, I, I cannot comprehend it. I truly, I truly cannot comprehend it. I, I, I just, I mean, it's, it's such an important part of you know, the approach to treating patients, you know, with Lyme, you know, that I, I, I assume that everybody, you know, this was a no brainer. This is the first thing that you address you know, you make sure that the hormones are balanced so that, you know, you, then you can go forward and, you know, address everything else. I assumed everybody did that. I guess, I guess I was wrong. Well, we always knew, you know, what we've learned from this podcast that you, and I think a misconception is a lot of people think I just want to jump right into treating. I want to kill this bacteria. It's making me so sick. We've learned that that's a mistake. You have to do some things first before you jump into yeah, no. an aggressive kill protocol. Yeah. That's if it was that been- easy, if it was that easy, then everybody would be doing it. And then right. after- you know, after a few weeks, everybody would be perfectly fine. And then life goes on. But that prehab toolbox, we looked at as nervous system regulation, you know, opening up your drainage pathways, helping support your liver, helping support, you know, your organs and your gut health by taking probiotics and maybe some berberine and things like that, herbs to really help support your gut. But we really never focused on on the hormones. So you're giving us a piece that we haven't heard this much about. And I think it's really important to note. But to, so is there, I feel like there is, and it, maybe you can help us explain in simple terms and, and then expand upon that, the relation between our hormones and our nervous system. So, you know, we all know we have fight or flight, which means, you know, we're, we're stuck in, you know, aggressive mode. We're stuck in, you know, we, we can't make a decision. We're stuck in fear. And that's really the, 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 the one side of the nervous system. The other side is more the rest and digest, which is the, the, the homeostasis, the balance side. And many of us get stuck, stuck in that fight or flight. Is there a correlation between our hormones and our nervous system? And do things like HPA balance and adaptogens and those types of herbs help us with our hormones as well, in addition to hormone replacement therapy? Of course, no question about it. I mean, you know, and, you know, HPA balance, you know, any kind of adrenal supplements, you know, can be a you know, huge help. Uh, I mean, there, there, there's, 
I mean, a, a lot of times, you know, when, you know, patients are dealing with, you know, and, you know, severe anxiety reactions, you know, I mean, the, the immediate, the gut, you know, the, the immediate reaction is, you know, take a couple of, you know, pharmaceuticals and that's going to take care of it. You know, there's a couple of hormones that can have been found to be very effective in terms of, you know, relaxing patients, something like oxytocin or pitocin, uh, you know, even men, you know, have, you know, have found it to be very effective in terms of, you know, kind of down-regulating you know, their, you know, their, their, their fight or flight reaction, their, their anxiety reaction. And, you know, obviously, you know, when you do something like that, you know, there's less, there's no potential for addiction. I mean, there's no potential for any, you know, significant side effects. You know, so yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, it's, and I think, you know, you can't disregard it. Okay. I mean, I think it really, really is important. Now, a lot of times with Lyme, as you know, you know, especially, you know, you know, with the, you know, you know, with the, uh, with the, um, uh, I'm, I'm blanking, you know, with, you know, with, you know, Bartonella, okay. Uh, it, you know, you tend to have a lot of central nervous system issues, a lot of neurologic dysfunction. I mean, it, it, it really makes you, make you, makes you, you know, incredibly, incredibly sick. Okay. And so, I mean, in, in those kinds of situations, it really is more important to try and kind of, you know, bring down that, that, you know, the brain inflammation, you know, trying to reduce, you know, the reaction in the, you know, in the hypothalamus. Uh, and so that there, again, you know, there are hormones that can be very beneficial. There are supplements that have been found to be very beneficial. Okay. There are peptides that have been found to be effective as well. And again, the, the advantage of doing any of those things is that number one, you know, they're not they're not going to cause you any significant issues. Okay. I mean, negative issues. Okay. They're not addicting. Okay. So you don't have to worry about, you know, my God, you know, you put me on Xanax and then, you know, I'm not going to be able to get off Xanax, you know, for the rest of my life. And I'm going to be dependent on it. Okay. Uh, you know, which is, you know, which is, you know, sometimes can be a problem. Okay. Uh, the, you know, uh, the, I have found that, you know, things like, uh, you know, uh, CBD, uh, CBD with THC, you know, yeah. can be incredibly helpful. Okay. Uh, I mean, and I've had a lot of patients, you know, who respond to that, you know, beautifully, you know, I mean, it, it, it relaxes them. They sleep better, less, you know, less like acute anxiety reactions. They deal with stress better. And I certainly prefer doing that than giving patients prescription medications. Okay. you know, which invariably, you know, you know, will cause problems. And then, you know, we have to get them off. They have, you know, they have to be weaned off and sometimes unsuccessfully. So, I mean, any, you know, I, I like to, you know, you know, choose, you know, natural forms of therapy rather than prescription medications if I can avoid them. So can you define first, Dr. Laufer, hormone versus supplement, right? Because you're saying like hormone replacement therapy is a really effective tool. And that's how you can get hormones under control and right. balance things out. But then you said also supplements are very helpful. So uh, to me, supplements are, are herbs, things from the earth, like right. ground and up, ground that's up exactly, herbs, right? That's Plants. exactly what it is. Yeah, it's, right? it's just... Yeah, it's, you know, you know, herbs that, you know, have been, you know, have been known to, you know, to have, you know, certain effects. And, you know, it's a one combination of herbs that can be very, you know, very effective. Yeah. So supplements, I mean, supplements can be very beneficial. I mean, they do, they do have, I mean, I have found supplements, you know, in terms of, let's say, for patients who have issues, you know, with adrenal dysfunction, you know, to be very, very effective. And I don't have to give them cortisol. Okay. I mean, I have patients who, you know, severe anxiety and I have found, you know, herbal medications that can, you know, certainly not necessarily completely control, you know, the, you know, the reaction, but certainly make it much more manageable. 
Okay. Can, can you give us some specifics? What specific herbs do you use to treat various things that you just described? Again, you know, we have, you know, Holter has designed a bunch of different things and, and that's what we use mainly here in the office. Okay. I mean, so it's a combination that they're all, most of them are combinations of, 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 of herbs that we have found to be effective. Uh, so that's, that's pretty much what we use. Okay. Well, I, I do want to ask, because I, I, I know there's a couple of things here. And Danny, feel free to jump in. I know you had an internet connection earlier. So I'm going to no, let she, our listeners know. She can't jump. It, you know, it bothers her. So she can just <laughs> sit down and bring him up. All right. You can, you can, yeah, feel free to just yell over me, Danny. <laughs> That's it. That's some it. The, some of the things that we're addressing right now are, it's just such an important conversation that we're having, because obviously in the community, you know, gaslighting is a huge thing. And there's really no separation between like what could be seen as like mental illness or all these other, you know, things that aren't, aren't a reality of the situation when it's these exact things we're talking about, this like hormone dysfunction, these adrenal problems, which is why I felt so fortunate that my journey started at Holtorf because I've heard from so many other people that they go this other route or they see so many other doctors and they can't figure out what's wrong. And that was the first thing. The second that I came to Holtorf, immediately Dr. Lawfer was looking into my thyroid, into my adrenals, like just based on symptomatically what I was going through, which I had already seen starting with a GI. The first person who told me you're, you're crazy you need to see a psychiatrist. It's all in your head. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you, which as we know, to this day, I still have extreme gut dysfunction. So that was very, yeah. um, but I think just as a broader topic, this is so what you guys are discussing. I was trying to jump in here and there, but I know you guys are on a roll, but um, as a patient, as a listener, this is so, 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 so important. Me personally, I take for granted the fact that Dr. Lawfer shined a spotlight and that was sort of the first place that he started digging. Um, and that's something that I asked you, Dr. Lawfer, because Matt was saying that sometimes these like adrenal and hormonal issues are like a downstream effect of Lyme. My understanding of my personal story is, you know, I was kind of going along my life being fairly healthy and active and okay. And once I started, uh, you know, thyroid condition is something that runs in my family and hypothyroid was something that started occurring. And that's when I started feeling those symptoms of those hormonal imbalances, adrenal, you know, issues, and nobody for years was able to help me give me a thyroid medication and just help me to balance my thyroid and to address very simple issues to my understanding is what triggered what would be considered my chronic Lyme. Now I know there's never a, a perfect pinpoint accurate description of how chronic Lyme can be triggered, but for me personally, along with stress and other things, you know, that's kind of what happens. So is that something that you notice in a lot of your patients is that having this onset of, of a thyroid issue or adrenal issue can trigger chronic Lyme? Of course, there's, there's a lot of triggers and certainly that could be one of the triggers. But most of the, I'd say that, you know, certainly, you know, 90% of the time there is a trigger, okay? You know, there, there is something, something, you know, either stress, you know, some kind of, you know, infection and you just never recover, um, some major trauma, you know, surgery. There's always a trigger, okay? And and, I, and and that's something that we you know we are you know we, we do find okay and, and again I I am I am really flummoxed I I I I I believe that everybody you know the one of the first things that you would do is check you know for hormones and make sure that your hormones were balanced uh, to eliminate that as a potential source of whatever symptoms that you're experiencing 
and just you know get you know get those under control and we don't have to worry about those anymore and then we can go on and do everything else so for me uh, this is an eye opener I I, I I i truly i i i am still i am still in shock i mean that's why i keep bringing it up because i can't believe it yeah i feel like i am a rare phenomenon so i i'm on the same <laughs> pathway with I, you I, well i first saw you in april of 2019 and I was hysterical and completely non-functional. <laughs> so I think that's probably why you looked at my adrenals right off the bat. Um, I, 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 to me, that's a no-brainer. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I just, I just don't. I, 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 I find it difficult to reconcile myself to the fact that some, you know, people don't look at that right away and get that out, you know, get that out of the way. That's, you know, that's something that you can correct. It's, you know, I mean, it's not going to interfere with anything else that you're doing. And, you know, you get that taken care of and then you can go on to do other things. Uh, yeah. But again, a, a lot of times, you know, if you ignore the hormones, okay, and then you start on certain therapies, I mean, the patient is not going to respond as well if their hormones are not balanced versus right. when they are balanced and then you can do certain therapies and the results are going to be much more satisfying. But if, you know, if your adrenals are totally off and your thyroid is totally off and then you start treating, you know, the response is not going to be very, you know, very good. Okay, or not very satisfactory. I mean, to my to my way of thinking, anyway. So I just I just don't understand it. I, I truly I truly don't understand it. I just think it's so helpful for a lot of the listener or new listeners or people who are are struggling right now because, in, you know, the general spectrum of treatment that you would get from your your GP or whatever, they, I mean, I know me specifically. I don't even know if you know this, Doctor Laffer, but my um, general doctor just told me you know, if you lose some weight, you'll feel oh, more attractive and then you won't be so emotional and, oh, God. and those types of things. So I sought out a, at least a GI doctor because I thought, well, at least we can start there who told me I was crazy. So I went to a psychiatrist who, interestingly enough, did prescribe me Xanax at the time, which I felt really uncomfortable with because I, I wasn't educated in it and so on, like as what you were speaking to earlier. Um, and what's interesting is by the grace of God, I was brought to your office and found you and you were a perfect fit for me. <laughs> and I, actually, that I'm was telling you, Danny, I, I am just, I, I'm really, I, I'm really, I'm in shock. I'm, I'm not kidding you. Okay. Well, what's interesting is I. Oops. Oh, Danny, I think he, Danny cut out. Just so our listeners know, Danny was trying to speak earlier as well, and she totally froze out on us. So um, I apologize for the technical difficulties. We're happy that Danny was able to. That's participate okay. this far. So Dr. Laufer, I'm going to just follow up because I hope Danny does come back. She's uh, still in, in the meeting. She's still frozen. She's still, still frozen. frozen. <laughs> but uh, let's expand upon the term nutraceutical. We've heard this term and it sounds like a fancy term. Can you just describe, because you did this also before learning about Lyme disease. What is nutraceutical therapy and how and are you using this today for Lyme patients? Yeah, you know, we do. Okay. Uh, again, it's, 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 a, it's, it's trying to find alternative ways of treating pain, trying to avoid, you know, a lot of prescription medications, you know, which potentially can create, you know, more significant, you know, you know, more significant problems. Okay. I mean, most prescription medications invariably, you know, potentially can have side effects. Okay. Which would only, you know, go to make the, you know, the patient symptoms worse. So we try to avoid those things. Not to say that, you know, herbs or nutraceuticals don't potentially have you know, can create issues as well, but the likelihood that they will is significantly less. 
Okay. What what is a nutraceutical? Can you? I, I, I'm still confused on the term. So what is it? Food? Is it a pill? Yeah, you know what exactly it, is it? It's usually you know plant based uh, you know therapies. Okay, most of the time it's plant based. Okay, I mean they're 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 chemicals that are derived from 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 plants. You know either you know plants foods. Uh, you know to treat certain conditions, and that really is essentially what it means. So if I take an herbal supplement, like for example, I take the Dr. Rolls Restore Kit, right? Is yeah. that a nutraceutical because yeah, it's filled be with plant medicine? Yeah, that okay. would be considered a nutraceutical. Natural, yeah. natural yeah. food that derived, exists, derived derived from a natural product, not synthetic, not you know created in a laboratory. I mean, but just extracted from from natural, you know, from natural foods, you know, for you know specific functions that they could have. Yeah. And we know a lot of these herbs have antimicrobial properties. So for example, yeah. Japanese knotweed, right? We know a lot of these things have been proven by Johns Hopkins to have stronger antimicrobial properties than some antibiotics, right? So Absolutely. I think you're, you're targeting, it sounds like we did at Holtorf is you built, you built this nutraceutical line based on the most potent herbs to address Lyme and tick-borne illnesses and you bundle them together in a blend and that's, that's the nutraceutical you're now offering to your patients, correct? And you're, yeah, and you're less likely to develop resistance you know, to, you know, to this, you know, to, to you know, to, to, to natural things than you are to, you know, chemical things. Okay. I mean, you're, you're, you're not going to, you know, that you're very, very unlikely that you're going to develop a resistance uh, to any nutraceutical that you take. Okay. I mean, so that, that's certainly, that's certainly an advantage. Let me ask you a philosophical question. Cause Danny was asking you earlier about the, you know, she, her hormonal issues triggered the chronic Lyme, right? But, uh, you know, we hear this in the autoimmune community a lot as well. People have autoimmune disease that they have in their family predisposition to. They have other pre-existing conditions. And do you think that the tick bite and the infection from the, the tick triggers your genetic expression to activate the whatever it is, autoimmune or okay. high, you know, thyroid issue? Or Let do you think just... that those other conditions activate the Lyme and make it so severe, which is why some people are more severe than others, you know? Let me just say something, okay? I mean, for, for, you know, when, when you're thinking about, you know, autoimmune diseases, okay, I mean, there's a couple of tests that you do, okay, in, in, an, in a number of, you know, in a number of patients who have Lyme, uh, who have, you know, any, you know, a, a chronic fatigue, it'll come back elevated, it's positive, okay, suggestive of, you know, you know, some kind of, you know, uh, you know, either lupus or Sjogren's or something like that. But in reality, you know, a lot of the times, you know, this test, you know, will turn positive simply because of inflammation. Okay. And I've had a number of patients, okay, that we test them and they come back, you know, with their, you know, anti-nuclear antibody is elevated. Oh, right away. I mean, they have lupus, but, you know, we treat them and then six months later, we repeat the test and it's totally normal. So inflammation can trigger, you know, that kind of a reaction. So it's not necessarily, you know, an autoimmune condition. Okay. So, it's do you believe that the do you believe that the Lyme triggers the inflammation, yes. which mimics the autoimmune disease in many cases? Correct. I mean, the Lyme will trigger the inflammation. There's no question about it. At so least in, in my mind. In Danny's case, do you think the Lyme triggered the inflammation, which triggered her, you know, thyroid issue, which was in her genes to begin with from her family? Like, you know, what do you what you thought on that that scenario there? Again, you know, it, it, it remains to be seen. And, you know, the goal, you know, if, you know, once we get her, you know, functioning, you know, totally well, then when she may, we may find that her thyroid is perfectly fine. Okay. And again, it's, it's something that I have seen. I have seen many patients, believe me, who, you know, you know, we treat the Lyme, we treat the adrenals, we, you know, I mean, the, the thyroid, we treat the adrenals, we treat everything else. And then once we get control of the underlying infection, the inflammatory reaction subsides, 
they will recheck all these numbers and the patient's perfectly fine. They don't have to take anything. I just want to highlight for our listeners, you know, your, your mission, right? Because I think your mission statement is really powerful and it's exemplified by what you're describing here, that your mission is to provide the latest research-based treatments and the safest methods for improving the quality of life of your patients. And that's what you just, you've been describing this entire time. Yeah. And you utilize these cutting edge tests and innovative treatments to uncover and address the root cause symptoms. And I just so appreciate your honesty about, you know, some things we just don't know and we'll know in time. And, you know, I, I, there is so much we still don't know, but there is a lot we do know. And you've used your 40 plus years of treating medicine to make pattern identifications to shortcut your patient's journeys. And I think over time, we're going to continue to build upon that and be able to make even more progress than we can today. So it's really it's really just inspiring to hear all this. I just want to take a minute to kind of let you know that you are providing a lot of hope to our listeners. I and you have a lot I mean, of I like, great- to, I like to think that I I like to think that I that I do. Okay. You know, maybe, you know, maybe I'm, I'm just, you know, kind of fooling myself and I think I'm doing a lot more good than I think I am. You know, but ultimately that is my my concern is to make my patients function. Okay. I don't want them to just exist. I want them to live. Okay. I mean, it doesn't do any good, you know, just, you know, get up in the morning, sit in front of the couch and then watch life go by. Okay. I mean, you have to be able to participate. And that is my goal. My goal is for them to get their lives back. Okay. Not exist, but live. Okay. And I mean, it may sound trite and may sound idiotic, but ultimately that is my goal. Okay. That is what, and again, like I told you before, I have some patients that I had not been able to do a damn thing for. Okay. And believe me, um, you know, I, I, I have tried and they just don't respond to anything. Okay. And they're not, it's not because they don't want to respond. Obviously they, they want to get their lives back. Okay. And it's incredibly, incredibly frustrating. It truly is. But see, you are so passionate and I, and I appreciate you and we appreciate you. Danny and I appreciate you being so honest, but I want to make the argument that 14 years ago, you couldn't help the patients that you're helping today because you've learned as an individual. And I think collectively as a society and as a medical community, we are learning and growing as well. So there's patients that, that feel like they are left behind, that they can't get better. That doesn't mean there isn't hope in the near future for other medical discoveries and breakthroughs to help them, right? So I just want to put that, that point of hope out Absolutely. there because we've seen it on this podcast. We have. But th there's one thing, you know, in the, if there is a, I mean, I guess if, we, if there is a silver lining, you know, because uh, from the pandemic, okay, from the from COVID and the, the long COVID patients, okay? I mean, the fact is that long COVID patients present very much like patients with Lyme, like patients with chronic fatigue. I mean, this is this is what they, they had an infection in, and they had an inflammatory inflammatory reaction. The reality is that there's a lot of money being spent now on research for long COVID, okay? Which invariably, I mean, I, I really feel very strongly that in the next year, you know, 16 months, I mean, there will come up, and, and I'm not talking about coming up with medications, you know, uh, you know, prescription medications, but, you know, with, you know, you know, you know, finding, you know, finding different systems that are affected and how they can be impacted to improve a patient's you know, life, okay? And I think the research that is, that is being done on, on long COVID is going to eventually have a huge impact on the, on the, on the Lyme population. I, I really believe that very strongly, you know? And so, you know, we're not standing still. I mean, there's, you know, there's things that are, you know, continuing to be researched. Again, with Lyme, you know, I mean, everybody's got a, you know, something that they do. I mean, Horowitz has this, you know, his new antibiotic, 
you know, you know, uh, you know, protocol that unfortunately most people can't tolerate. Uh, you know, as you know, you know, I mean, people were using uh, antibuse, disulfuran, you know, to treat Lyme, but no, nobody, nobody could tolerate it. I mean, so I mean, but again, at least you know we're trying, okay. And that's the important thing. The important thing is not to give up, okay. Not just to simply say, well. I mean, there's nothing we can do. You're just going to have to live your life and, you know, just, you know, don't bother me anymore. Okay. You have to, I mean, you have to keep trying. I mean, there's got to be something that you can do. Even if you improve somebody's life by 20, 30, 40%, I think even that is significant. Couldn't agree more, Doctor. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, um, Danny, you're back. Can you guys hear me? Yes, yeah, you're you're back. All right. You froze. You froze. <laughs> I'm sorry, fellas. Um, well, just from the patient perspective, um, Lyme, it, it's the way you're speaking about it, Dr. Lawfer, it's almost like a spectrum, right? Because everybody who is battling Lyme disease, chronic Lyme disease, it's such a wide spectrum in terms of how to treat it or how long you might have it or get into some kind of remission or I feel like that part of it is so difficult to explain to like family, friends, you know, people that you work with, significant others, all of those things. So I was kind of curious, like how, how would you go about explaining that to, to somebody? Like if somebody first came in your office and was, had no idea about Lyme. And this really goes back to when I was asking about the triggers, because in my story recently, I had someone, a friend of mine, um, you know, I've kind of become an advocate like on Instagram and social media, and I share a lot of my story and a friend of mine found a tick on his leg. And because of seeing my Instagram, of course he panicked because <laughs> he, he knew me when I was well and traveling the world and teaching and living this like great life. And he sees me now in my wheelchair, <laughs> even right. though I'm much better, you know, because you know, my story for him, he just sees that. Um, so I, that's why I was asking about triggers and if there's any possible prevention to getting to that point where it's chronic, but even in that for people to understand the spectrum of what chronic Lyme looks like, how would you even describe that to somebody? You can, I mean, and, and, and the first thing you, the patient has to understand, especially with somebody who's got chronic Lyme, that you know, it's a process, okay? I mean, there's no quick solutions. I mean, there's no guarantees that anybody's going to respond. You know, so the, the first thing that they have to understand that it is a process, it's a long road, uh, you know, and it's unpredictable and there's no way of, of, of being able to decide, you know, you know, what, what they're going to respond to, what they're not going to respond to. Okay. Now, the other thing is, as you know, that, you know, a lot of patients who have Lyme, who end up having Lyme, they, they don't remember ever getting bitten by a tick. And it's not just ticks, you know, we're also talking about, you know, you know, horse flies and, you know, mosquitoes sometimes, you know, there's some, uh, there's some guy in Pennsylvania who thinks even gnats can transmit the disease. We know that, it, you know, anecdotally, we know that it can be transmitted sexually. Uh, you know, it can be transmitted from mother to child. I mean, in the womb. I mean, so there's a lot of, a lot of ways of transmitting this disease, but a lot of people, you know, simply don't, they have no idea. They were, they don't remember ever getting bitten. They never had a reaction. They never had a rash. I mean, nothing. Okay. And then it comes as a total surprise, you know, as a total shock. And so, but again, it, they have to understand that it is a process. Okay. I mean, now the one thing that I would recommend though, if anybody who gets bitten by a tick, I mean, I don't care, you know, if they don't have a rash, if they, I mean, I would treat him. I would treat him with two antibiotics. I would treat him, you know, for at least a month. I mean, I'm not taking any chances. I mean, I, I'm, maybe I'm being overly aggressive, 
but I, I, I would rather do that than have them, you know, you know, have to pay the potential price of developing, you know, chronic Lyme and have them impact their lives in such a profound way, you know. So that's, you know, that's, that's my take. That's my take on it, you know, uh, you know, on, on, you know and, and again, everybody has different takes on it, uh, you know, but again, you know, the, the, the important thing is, the, you know, people have to understand it's a real disease. You know, they're not imagining it. This is not a figment of their imagination. No, going to a psychiatrist is not going to take care of their problem. You know, it is not in their heads. There are, you know, significant issues, you know, physical issues that have to be dealt with. And if they're not, they're not going to get better. No matter how many anti-anxiety medications they take, how many antidepressants they're going to take, it's not going to do them a damn bit of good. And unfortunately, uh, you know, there's been patients who, you know, have you know, done away with themselves because they simply see no hope and they, you know, they, they despair. And, 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 and I think that's totally unfortunate. You know, I, I, I just, I, I just think it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tremendous loss, you know, and it's a, and it's an unnecessary loss. You think that, I'm sorry, Danny. I was just going to say, I appreciate you so much explaining that. Obviously Matt and I know that, and some of us that are further along in our journey have experienced it, but I just think it's, people just really have no comprehension of any kind of understanding of this disease. And so to hear it from you and just being so honest about it, it's, it's, I appreciate it. it, it, I mean, for me, it defies explanation of how some people, you know, can, can, can actually, you know, conceive that somebody, you know, you know, complains, uh, you know, can get out of bed, can function. I mean, going to the bathroom is the equivalent of running a marathon. How they, you know, they can conceive that that is really what somebody wants to, that's how somebody wants to live, okay? I mean, nobody imagines that kind of, you know, that those kind of symptoms, okay? I mean, I think it's absurd. But again, some people, you know, some people, that's how they feel. It's all in your head. There's nothing wrong with you. Uh, the other problem with Lyme, and, and, and uh, it's, you know, I mean, testing and, and treatment can be costly, okay? And that can be a problem. I mean, that can be a huge, huge problem. That's something I wanted to ask you too, Dr. Lawfer. I mean, obviously the whole TORF office is located in Southern California, but you trained so many doctors. I'm sure you've experienced, you know, being many places, but why California? First of all, do you choose to be here? And secondly, thank you, because there is but, not a lot of support here but, at all. But Danny, the reality is, I mean, yes, I'm based in California, but I, I literally, you know, and I'm not bragging, okay? I mean, I take care of patients in every state of the country. I have patients in England. I have patients in Canada. I have patients in Kuwait. Uh, I have patients in Spain. Uh, I have patients in South America. So I, you know, I, I don't limit. I mean, obviously, you know, we treat, you know, we do things differently because, you know, obviously they can't come, they can't fly in every time, you know. But no, I mean, I, I, you know, I treat patients because again, people they can't find somebody to address their problems in whatever community they live in. And so they're searching and I, I, I can't, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I have patients in Australia. Uh, I mean, I, literally I have patients, you know, all over the world, you know, and uh, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that they have to resort to seeing me and not having someone in their own communities, but that's the reality that we're living with at this point, unfortunately. That's always a surprising things to me that like, I'm here in Los Angeles and there's no support really for the Lyme community here. There's some in San Diego, which is Southern California. But other than that, I mean, it's Los Angeles. You would think that there yeah, would be. But Danny, remember, there's still a lot of, you know, there's still a lot of physicians who, you know, deny the existence of Lyme. 
Right. You know, chronic Lyme is a figment of your imagination. Chronic Lyme does not exist. You know, it's if you you know if if you wanted to get better, you would get better. You know, just you know you know put on your, you know put on your boots and get on the you know just go function. And if you can't function, go see a psychiatrist. They'll give you an antidepressant, and that'll take care of everything. Yeah, well, I mean that's it's the unfortunate reality. I mean that's the unfortunate reality. And what happens if it's not treated? If somebody you know is not able to get that kind of support or help, or is this something that like progresses to the point of where symptomatically can kill you? It's not like we would technically maybe die from the Lyme infection, but no, you're not likely. You know, you're not likely to die, but you certainly would become totally non-functional. Okay, and. But again, and it gets to the point where you're so non-functional that what's the point of living? And mm-hmm. I mean, a number of patients, you know, have in fact, you know, taken the ultimate step and they've done away with themselves, okay? Which is unfortunate, you know, but again, that is just desperate. And again, part of it is also that, you know, they're non-functional, uh, you know, people don't recognize that it's not something that they're, you know, that, you know it's not, it's not a, a problem of their, you know, they're, they're unwilling or, you know, they're not willing to, they don't want to get better. Okay. And a lot of it also has to do with family support. You know, a lot of families simply do not accept that, you know, there's anything wrong. You know, if, you know, they all, if, you know, I mean, get out of bed, if you wanted to, you could, you know, I mean, this is nonsense, just get out of bed, but you know, you can't, you know, and they don't, and so they don't get the, you know, that kind of intimate support that I think is absolutely necessary. You know, I think, I think people have to recognize that, you know, uh, the vast majority of Lyme patients, you know, given a, given an option, I mean, they would want to live their lives. You know, they don't want to be, you know, in bed or they don't want to be at home all the time, unable to function, uh, unable to, you know, mentally, I mean, everything is, you know, you know, they're, you know, they're going through pea soup because they can't think, they can't, I mean, they just can't generate two thoughts together. I mean, nobody wants that. I mean, obviously there's some people, but no, really, nobody really wants that. And so that's part of the problem, you know, I mean, support becomes very, very important. And unfortunately, a lot of patients don't have support, you know, and I'm talking about intimate support, you know, support from, you know, their relatives, uh, support from their significant others. They just don't recognize that it's a real problem. Yeah. And I I think that's unfortunate. But it's mainly an invisible illness, I think is one of the hardest parts of this disease. And I have to highlight the fact that that's but, why I have. Go ahead. But I think it's becoming more visible. I, I really think it's becoming more visible. I think more people are, are, are coming to realize that you know, I mean, it, there is there, there is an underlying problem. It's not simply uh, a matter of will. Uh, I mean, that there are issues uh, that have to be addressed, and it's just a question of getting you know the right person, you know, going to the right person to address those issues. Okay. But I think it's becoming a little bit more. I mean, I'm hoping anyway that it's becoming a little bit more, more, you know, more recognized, and you know, so people are not left on their own, and uh, which obviously psychologically is devastating. Well, that's why I have a special place for you in my heart, but I have such respect and admiration for you because I I told this story on my podcast, but when I walked out of your office, I it was weird because I had just spilled my guts to you and I told you what was going on with me. But I, it's like I was screaming out for help and I just felt like nobody could hear me. And I just remember so vividly that you literally stopped me in my tracks and you just like, you may have even grabbed my shoulder and you just told me, 
that I wasn't crazy. And you just told me that you're, that I, I believe you and this is real and I'm going to help you. And I've never, I felt such pure, authentic, like I could get emotional talking about it right now because I felt seen and I felt like nobody had seen me and nobody had heard me. And I was in a crowded room screaming for years at this point. And my life was like sand just slipping out of my fingers. And everything I was trying to do to stop it was like making it go faster. And it was like, for the first time, it was like, you reached out your hands underneath mine to catch it. Like, I'm going to help you. And we're going to do this together. And like, you gave me some sense of hope and I had never felt that before. So that's why it's so important to have you on the podcast. Oh no, I think you you know, it's important to recognize that. I mean, it's not in your head. You're not imagining the stuff. I mean, this is not, you're not creating this because you want attention. Okay. I mean, you legitimately cannot function. I mean, it's, that's, that's the first thing that, you know, you know, that, that whoever's treating has to understand, you know, you're not imagining this stuff. Nobody wants to, to live this way. Nobody wants to be dissymptomatic. Uh, you know, so the important thing is to realize that it's not in your head. No, and an antidepressant will not take care of it. And I get <laughs> sick and tired of, of, of seeing patients who come in and they're taking 15 antidepressants and it's not doing a damn bit of good because the problem is not depression, mm-hmm. you know, and it's frustrating. And so you, you have no idea how frustrating it is to see patients who come in with a list of, pardon my French, crap that they're taking that is doing absolutely nothing for them. It's not improving their lives one iota. You know, they still can't get out of bed. They still can't function. You know, they, they can't put two things, two thoughts together, okay? I mean, they have so much cognitive dysfunction that it's, you know, they think that they're, you know, they're going crazy or they're, you know, developing Alzheimer's. I mean, it's, it's frustrating. It's incredibly frustrating. You know, but again, I think, recognition is going to, I mean, just again, as with chronic fatigue, as you know, for a long time, chronic fatigue wasn't even recognized as a legitimate diagnosis. Now it is. Okay. And I think the day will come, you know, when patients, you know, who have chronic Lyme, you know, will, you know, will find, you know, the, the medical community understanding that it is, it's a legitimate condition and that has to be treated, you know, and, and again, obviously maybe I'm just hoping but I mean, I do believe that you know, the day will come, you know, when it will be recognized, there will be therapies that can be done that most patients will respond to. Will every patient respond to it? No, but most patients will respond and they will see some improvement and they will be able to, you know, have some kind of life, not just, you know, you know stuck in the room, uh, you know, I mean, not, not, able to, not able to function, so. I love that. I'll, see get, off my, I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> No, I absolutely love it. I could go in for, for Well, I get angry. I get angry. I really, I get very upset when I see some of these patients who come in with a long list of crap that they're taking that is doing absolutely nothing. I mean, it is just making things worse. Okay. And I also get upset because, I mean, in your case, you know, we stomach, you know, that the gut is disregarded. You know, I just take a couple of antacids, call me in the morning, take some Mylanta, you know, whatever. And if you don't address that, you know, if you don't address gastrointestinal function, you're never going to get anywhere, you know, with treating Lyme, you know, or any of the, of the underlying problem. So. Yeah. So along those lines, I did want to talk to you just briefly about um, how, how you go about treating Lyme, because when I first came on the podcast and started listening to the podcast, it was really hard for me to see myself in any of like the more common patients of chronic Lyme, because it seems like 
the normal route is to automatically go to that antibiotic treatment. And I know for me, because of my gut dysfunction, like you're talking about, that was not an option. No. So we went for about three years before we started antibiotics. But even, even five years ago, okay? I mean, if a patient came in, yes, and you know, antibiotics you know, were the go-to thing. Not anymore. I mean, I really, I mean, I do antibiotics you know, pretty much as a last resort, okay? I mean, obviously the important thing is, you know, you do an evaluation. I mean, you know, look at inflammatory markers, address if, if there's significant amount of inflammation, you address inflammation, you take care of any hormonal issues that, that you have, and then you start building, you know, immune response. You know, you do things to build immune system, you know, response. You do things to diminish, decrease inflammation. Uh, and antibiotics are reserved, you know, much later on. I mean, there's things, I mean, I have patients who, I don't know if you know about LDI, you know, and LDI, you know, I've had patients who responded to LDI, and who all, all low dose immunotherapy, right? Very nicely. I'm sorry. Low dose immunotherapy, right? Correct. Correct. And I've had patients who've responded. I mean, I have a number of patients. All they do now, I mean, is LDI. They've gotten their lives back. They do a, you know, they do a, a dose of LDI, you know, pretty much, you know, every six months, and they're perfectly fine. Okay. Uh, and I've had I've had good response with the LDI. I'm very happy with it. You know, low dose naltrexone. Uh, you know, methylene blue. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can go to, you know, to, to try and avoid the antibiotics. So I think in, in the long run, I don't think they, I, I think the antibiotics eventually cause more problems than they, than they help. Okay. I mean, that's, but again, because of the, you know, if you do, if you, if you commit to antibiotic therapy, you know, you have to commit to doing at least three antibiotics. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's not just one antibiotic. Okay. One antibiotic is not going to do a damn bit of good you know, because the, the bacteria will revert to the, you know, to the form of the line that is not being treated. So it's not going to do you a damn bit of good. Okay. Then the other thing that people forget, especially, you know, when you're treating Lyme is, you know, the biofilm. Okay. And this is, you know, I mean, this is a bacteria that wants to survive. Okay. And it will do anything to survive. Okay. And it will create a very strong biofilm. Okay. Which makes it very difficult, you know, to get to, I mean, so even if your immune system is working well, I mean, you know, it's with the biofilm is very difficult to penetrate. So that's something that you make sure that you, that you address. Okay. So it's a bunch of different things. Dr. Laffer, how, how do you do that? Right. So what antibiotics specifically are most effective for the various forms? So for example, we have the spiroketal form, we have the round body form, we have the cell deficient form, we have the biofilm form. Yeah. What antibiotics do you recommend or what treatments do you recommend to address each of those stages or, or I'll call them you know, different morphologies, right? That yeah. taken together as a combination are most effective to treat Lyme. Because your point, if I take one antibiotic for a spiroketal form, which is most common, it's just going to ball up into a cyst. And as soon as I'm done with the antibiotics, it's going to come back out to a spirochete and it did no good, right? Well, so what combination do you recommend? Okay, and so, also you know, at what point do you even start with that? Look, I, again, I don't start with the antibiotic right away. I mean, that's just, I mean, I have, it, it, you know, I'm, and I used to, and I have found them to be, you know, not, not, it's something that I reserve when I, you know, for, you know, when I've tried everything else and patient hasn't responded. Okay. In terms of the antibiotics, and obviously with the antibiotics, you have to be careful. I mean, a lot of people have sensitivities, so you want to make sure that you don't create any issues. And again, if you have any kind of gastrointestinal issue, I mean, I avoid the antibiotics because it's just going to rip up your gut and it's just not going to do any good. You're going to create more issues. Okay. You know, but again, you know, you know, this, you know, the, the, you, you know, the, the ones that I go for, you know, for the intracellular form, I like rifampin, okay, you know, which I, you know, which I found to be fairly effective. I mean, I can, you know, also use doxycycline, 
I mean, if you have a lot of, you know, if, if you have a lot of, uh, you know, cognitive issues, a lot of central nervous system issues, then I, you know, I think minocycline is a better choice because it, it, it crosses the blood brain barrier better. Okay. So, you know, minocycline, doxycycline, uh, you know, people have used, um, you know, Zithromax. Okay. I mean, I like Zithromax, but preferred IV rather than oral, uh, you know, uh, then, you know, for the cell wall forms, I mean, you can use any of the of the silins, you know, penicillins, you know, they, they work, you know, they work well. Again, the problem with that is that a lot of people are, you know, very much uh, uh, allergic to penicillin. Okay? Like me. Yep. Yeah. And so that that creates, you know, that creates, you know, that really creates an issue. Okay. Then you try, you know, you can do vancomycin IV, yep. uh, you know, those kinds of things. And then for the cystic form, and the cystic form is the one that's most difficult to treat. Okay, that's the one that's much more difficult. So you can do, uh, you know, you know, Tindamax, Plaquenil. You can do Alenia. I mean, those are the antibiotics. But again, with the antibiotics, I I reserve those, you know, until until the end. You know, they, I don't know. I, I I know. I think Horowitz has a new protocol that he feels works really well for treating Lyme. Okay, uh, you know, and it's it's you know it's a Dapsone. And uh, I think it, you know, doxycycline, dapsone, and I think plaquenil, not plaquenil, uh, rifampin. Uh, and you, you know, you do it for eight weeks, and then after you finish that, you do an additional uh, four days of dapsone, uh, doubling the dose for four days. And he thinks he's, you know, he's found that to be effective, especially in patients who are unresponsive to, you know, to, to therapy uh, or who have a relapse. Uh, again, the problem with that is. Again, the gut, and, 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 and that is the big issue. The big issue is the effect of the antibiotics on the gut. I mean, if you can do IV antibiotics, you can do IV antibiotics. There's some certain IV therapies that can be effective. Uh, you, know, you know, IV ozone has been found to be effective. Uh, if you have a lot of, uh, you know, if you have a lot of cognitive dysfunction, uh, you know, uh, you, there's, uh, you can use, um, I'm blanking out now, but you can also use there's a, a laser, a Weber laser, uh, which has been found to be effective. And again, no downside to it because it's not going to, you know, it's not going to cause you any negative issues. The other thing that I have found to be effective is silver, you know, colloidal silver, uh, I mean, can be very effective, you know, effective against viruses, bacteria, funguses, nothing has ever been found to be resistant, but you have to be careful, make sure that you get the right kind of silver, otherwise you turn blue and it's irreversible. So why is there so much controversy over silver? Because I silver, I don't understand that. Like I it, don't know. I don't know. I use silver all the time. You know, I use silver if, if I'm getting an upper respiratory infection or a you know throat infection or if I have some skin issue. I use the I use the silver and it works well. I I I I'm a big I'm a big fan of uh, of silver. I love it. I you know I mean I have my kids on it. I mean my daughter one of my daughters. Uh, never had line, never had COVID, and all she does is, you know, if she's going to go to a function or something, a couple of sprays of of uh, the silver. When she comes back, she sprays again. She's perfectly fine. She's never had the infection. She's doing marvelously well. So I don't know why people object to silver. I think it's it's great. I mean, I I happen to love it. And the colloidal silver can actually not only help prevent things like COVID and, and, you know, when you're going into a crowded room, but it also helps treat Lyme, right? It's also antimicrobial, correct? Of course, of course. And it's, you know, it, it also helps against, you know, uh, you know, funguses. Yeah. It's antifungal. I mean, I don't know. I mean, silver is, I think, I, I mean, I, 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 I prescribe silver all the time. I, I love yeah. silver. 
I mean, and you had me it, on it for a while because it, I was starting to get a little mast cell activation syndrome. Yeah, no, but it's, it, you know, it's, it's really, it's really great. You know, I mean, I don't have a problem with that, you know, and then, you know, for Babesia, you know, you use ivermectin, although some people say, oh my God, horse medicine. Uh, but, you know, it's been approved for human use and ivermectin can be very effective. You only have to use it once a week. Uh, then the, the anti-malarials, you know, I mean, I mean, the one that's really, you know, the one that's really, you know, r difficult to treat. Okay. The one that tends to be the, the most problematic, okay. Is the, is the, is the, is the Bartonella. And that's the one that, you know, tends to cause the most problems. Okay. Um, you know, in terms of treating, uh, you know, but again, you know, you can use, you know, you know, Bactrim, Septra, you can use, uh, Leviquin, which can be effective. I mean, so there's, there's a bunch of different things that you can do. Wow, that okay. was a ton of, ton of gold right there, Dr. Laufer. I do want to ask you though, okay, so peptides, you talked about peptides earlier. What yeah. are peptides and how do you use them to treat your Lyme patients? I mean, peptides are combinations of amino acids that have been used to you know, treat specific problems, okay? Uh, the problem with the peptides, and, and at least the problems that I have found, okay? Peptides, you know, can be oral, you know, can be intranasal, or it can be subcutaneous, okay? I mean, in my experience, the oral peptides, their absorption is uneven, okay? Uh, the intranasal, much better absorption, uh, but the, you know, the subcutaneous is the best absorption, okay? And, you know, the, there's different, there's all kinds of peptides, you know, certainly you can use peptides, you know, for inflammation, you can use peptides for immune, you know, to boost immune system function, you can use peptides to increase uh, you know, growth hormone release, you can use peptides for sleep. There's all kinds of peptides, you know, that, you know, that are in the market now. Okay. Uh, you know, some people respond, some people don't respond, you know, and that's the problem always, you know, but I think a lot of it has to do with absorption. You know, what, um, what about BPC-157? We've heard a lot of good yeah. results with that. And I yeah, think BPC-157 is great for inflammation, specifically for inflammation. Okay. And it can be very, very effective. Like I said, the oral is not as effective, I think, as the, you know, as the, as the subcutaneous. And subcutaneous means basically it's like a needle, right? You, it's, yeah, like a, it's, a, yeah. it's a needle injection, right? Yeah, but you can also do intranasal. Uh, you know, you can, uh, you know, a couple of sprays each nostril, you know, it gets absorbed really nicely because, you know, the circulation in the nose is very rich. Uh, so yeah, that can be very, I mean, for immune system, there's all kinds of different things. You know, thymosin beta-4, you know, can be helpful for, you know, for, for immune system function. Um, you know, there's a, uh, I mean, there's, uh, I mean, for, you know, there's a KPDD, which can also be very good for, uh, for uh, immune function, can also be good for, especially helps a lot with gut, you know, with gut stuff. You know, the, I have found the KPDD very helpful, you know, for, you know, for dealing with a lot of gastrointestinal issues, you know. Again, but the rate limiting step with a lot of the stuff is cost. Mm -hmm. I mean, the cost sometimes can be prohibitive, okay? And that is, that is a big problem, okay? Believe me, I have patients who, I mean, you know, the stuff helps, but they can't afford it. I mean, and that's, I mean, it's a big problem, you know, because, you know, we're talking about, you know, doing, you know, multiple therapies for an extended period of time and financially it can be devastating. Let's talk about the second brain, right? You keep talking about the gut. So let's just, let's just take a minute to talk about that. The second brain, the gut, the, I think studies have suggested that the gut is responsible for 70% of your immune system. And when we're talking about the risks of antibiotics and the damage to the gut, even if it has success in killing off the microbes, Lyme, co-infections, et cetera, the damage it's doing to your gut is having such a detrimental impact on your immune system. It's probably going to have a lot of more long-term effects that are, are as a consequence of the antibiotics, right? So never mind 
gut damage from antibiotics, but generally Lyme patients have really bad gut health to begin with. What specifically do you do to help your Lyme patients with their gut health? Because that's such an integral part of the healing journey as well. Is that more of a downstream effect or is it something you do directly or, or no, set of I mean, tools you do directly for, to address I mean, the gut? The, the first thing, you, if, if gut issues are severe, then you try and avoid to do as many oral things as you can. I mean, okay. I mean, that's the first step. Okay. Then obviously, you know, you want to do some good probiotics. Okay. That can be very, very helpful. Okay. Uh, I have found in, in terms of, you know, the KPDV, you know, which I talked about the peptide is it, I have found it to be incredibly helpful, you know, in, in kind of, you know, balancing your gut and it's all about the gut biome. Okay. I mean, just getting those, you know, those bacteria and, you know, we know as you know, we have trillions of bacteria, you know, populating the gut. Uh, so, you know, if you get those balanced, I mean, your gut function will be significantly better. The other thing is, I mean, you know, believe it or not, you know, even though you may think that you're not sensitive to foods, Yes, you are, you know, and so you have to start, you know, food testing. I, I'm not a big fan of doing you know, those tests for food, you know, for food sensitivities, because in my experience, it comes back that this, you know, patient is sensitive to everything except cardboard and water. And so what am I, what are they supposed to eat? You know, which just becomes a problem, uh, you know, so just kind of, you know, elimination, you know, keeping a diary, you know, looking for things that, you know, will trigger significant, you know, gut dysfunction. And avoiding those things, you know, but just keeping a diary, eliminating one thing at a time for a couple of weeks, seeing what kind of an effect it has. And we're talking about things like, you know, gluten, dairy, wheat, which tend to be the most common, you know, inflammatory, you know, um, you know, trigger the most inflammatory reactions with the gut. So you start with those, but then you start, you know, looking for things that potentially could trigger the dysfunction and you just eliminate it and see whether it has an impact on, on the gut function. I mean, it's, it's really... It really is just a process. And again, it's difficult to keep a diary, especially, you know, if you, you know, mentally, you're just not there, you know, you're, you know, you're foggy, you know, your memory is garbage, you know, you don't remember from one day to the next. So that can be problematic. Uh, but at, at that point, you know, you enlist somebody to help you, you know, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, you're not going to get better on your own. Yeah. Danny, before we begin to conclude, do you have any, any, any final questions? I know, Thank God you came in at the perfect time. Your internet issues earlier on were, I think, appropriate because when you came back, you came back at the perfect time and were able to really, you know, jump in at that part where, where I needed you the most. So thank you for that. But do you have any, did, did you miss anything that you wanted to ask Dr. Lau for, Danny? Well, I was just curious. I mean, obviously the gut health is just, oh, it's. Yeah, with like, you, with you, the gut is the biggest problem, Danny. That is I the biggest know. issue. Since the day we met, I'm like, fecal transplant, what do we do? It's like so horrible. Yeah. Uh, but I think just for anyone in general, whether it's like they're stuck with the GI problems or chronic pain or whatever it is, it's like, um, I think people kind of misunderstand how difficult the battle is fighting Lyme. I know on our podcast, we've heard people refer to fighting Lyme is similar to like fighting cancer in terms of like the treatments and the things that we have to go through. I do wanna say that of all the things that you provided for me treatment wise for the first three years, I didn't struggle that bad at all. <laughs> I didn't have any kind of die off. I mean, I did the ozone, I did the silver, I did the Weber laser and I had the same results to where I would be in contact in a room of COVID and I wouldn't even get it because we were treating so well with so many things, which was extraordinary. Right. Um, now you've had me on IV antibiotics for four months and I can, it's a little different now. <laughs> so I understand where people are coming from in terms of it being very but, aggressive. But always, but always remember though, Danny, a lot of times when we do antibiotics, okay, you will have die off. Okay. 
which you know people you know kind of uh, you know i mean they, they 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 think it's you know they're feeling worse because i mean we're not doing the right thing but die off actually is a very positive thing i mean i know that i'm not the one who's going through it so it's easy for me to say but it's a positive thing it does mean that we're having an impact on the underlying problem so die off and again as you know there are things that can be done you know to you know to have to help with you know severe die off reactions okay but believe it or not, when I treat patients with Lyme, I mean, I'm looking for a die-off reaction. I actually want them to feel worse before they feel better because it gives me an indication that we're on the right track. Okay, so what, that's what can be done, Doctor Lafer, to address die-off and the Herxheimer reactions? You, you well, mentioned you know, some the, tools. The, if, if it's not a severe reaction, there's something like Alka-Seltzer Gold can be helpful. Okay, uh, I have found that patients who have severe uh, reactions, uh, they, the the one thing that I has found to I have found to be effective is Actos. Okay. And Actos is a medication that was developed for, um, you know, for diabetics, okay? And if you ask me why it helps with die-off, I have no idea. I just know that it does. And you can take it one, two, three times a day, but it can be very effective. Uh, the other thing that has been found to be, I have found to be effective for severe die-off reactions is Singular, uh, you know, which is, uh, you know, it, it's, it, 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 it look at trying stabilizer, okay? And it, it helps, you know, it does help with the, with the you know, with the, you know, die-off reaction. But again, I, I, I want, I know it sounds terrible, but I want the die-off reaction. I really, I want people to have die-off because it really points me in the right direction, you know? And so that's, and again, people, a lot of people don't understand that, you know, why the hell do you want me to feel worse? Uh, you know, I mean, I do want you to feel worse, but not for a long time. You know? No, I appreciate you saying that because sometimes when you're the patient, you're just sort of stuck in this, you know, purgatory of like, you're not better. You're still sick. You just kind of yeah. get lost in it. So I think when you're reminding us of those things, it's super important. So well, and, and it's important to, you know, to keep, you know, to keep reminding, you know, I mean, because obviously I don't see patients on a weekly basis. Okay. And so I say something and then two months later, three months later, I see him again and they're telling me, you know, they're feeling terrible. And I try to, you know, you know, tell them, you know, one of the reasons why you're feeling worse is because of what we're doing. And I get some very strange looks, you know, which is, you know, but it's okay. I'm used to strange <laughs> looks. I don't have a problem with those. Well, I know you've seen it all with your patients. So that's kind of what my question was. That's where I was getting to with that was, um, I think people don't always realize that battling Lyme, it's a marathon. <laughs> but it, and it <laughs> is a battle. Long, long, long and, journey. And it is a battle. And it is a battle. You know, it is right. a battle. You know, you find, you're fighting you know, a, a really, really complicated bacteria that is going to do anything and everything it can to survive. And it's going to feed on its host. And it's, it's a battle. And it really is a horrendous battle, you know. And again, you know, you know, sometimes, you know, you know, you mentioned cancer before, okay. And some people would rather, you know, you have cancer, at least you're going to die. And then you're going to, you know, you're not going to suffer anymore. You know, patients with Lyme, you know, they go on and on and on in life. And they don't, you know, it's like, again, you know, I, like I said before, they're, they're not living, they're just existing, okay? And it's just not a very, it's not a, it's not a nice way to, you know, to spend your life, you know, so. Okay. I appreciate you saying that, though. I feel like it has a lot of gravity because it only means so much coming from, you know, an invisible illness patient that's struggling and crying and doing this, battle. you know, it's, it's really tough. So I think for other chronic illness patients, but even their support systems, it's really important to hear a medical professional, you know, explain yeah. in that way. And that support system, that's incredibly important. Yeah, incredibly. that brings me to, that does bring me to my last question. So yeah. 
it's a long battle we're talking about. It requires so many things in terms of long-term treatment, the support, a supportive doctor, supportive family, all these things. But I was just curious because you have seen it all. Is there anything that you've come across or witnessed or experienced that has really set a patient apart in terms of their healing journey, whether it be something spiritual, some type of support, some type of daily habit, or, you know, I mean, it could be a treatment, but is there anything that you've noticed? Wow. This has really been made no, it really, the, the thing, the only thing that you're know, certain, you know, I mean, support from those close to you is important. Okay. I mean, having people, you know, recognize the fact that you are ill, that you're not imagining this stuff, that it's not something that you're creating out of, you know, just thin air, you know, because you want attention. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that I found, you know, believe it or not, that I have found to be incredibly effective is, you know, once your patient starts feeling a little bit better, I mean, physical activity, you know, is incredibly important. I mean, and I'm talking about even, you know, just going for walks, you know, but any kind of physical activity. And the goal always with physical activity, my, my, my goal for patients is, you know, if they can do like 150 minutes a week, uh, you know, without crashing, okay, and that's important. If they crash, then it's counterproductive. You know, they have to be able to, you know, yes, be physically active, maybe a little bit tired, but a few hours later, they're fine. The next day, they're fine. You know, they're back to baseline. Uh, but I think that I have found that, you know, if patients are able to, you know, to become physically active, it has a huge positive impact. Okay, that's, I'm taking notes, Dr. Luffer. Okay. <laughs> I am too, because I'm going to forget tomorrow what I said. So, you know. <laughs> no, I really, I mean, I'm just so grateful for everything that personally you've done in my life, but for sharing this with our, our audience is, is so important. And you're just, you're just awesome, Dr. Luffer. So, 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 so when I get hate mail, I can refer it to you. Is that the way it's going to work? Possible. No, no, absolutely. Okay. Your, your passion for it. I feel like I feel like you're one of us. I mean, like yes. you understand what we go through and well, you're so compassionate. But Danny, I am passionate about it because I believe me, I I mean, ultimately I do want to help people. I mean, I I mean I know their struggle that they're 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 you know they're having, and I do want to help them. Believe me, that is that is my my one and only goal. I really want them to help. I want them to be able to, you don't know how how wonderful it makes me feel to see a patient that I started treating, you know, 10 years ago and now they've got their lives back. You know, they're married, they have two, you know, they have kids, and you know, we're doing just minimal stuff and they're functioning. And that's that's what I want. I want everybody to be able to to have that. That's what I want. Dr. Laffer, I just want to tell you that as somebody who just met you today. Yeah. Your passion and your care and your desire to help could not be more apparent. I mean, your well, energy is just shining through this podcast. Well, I mean, I really don't know how to describe it for you. I mean, it is a thousand percent clear that you genuinely care and want to help people. I mean, I nobody do. can doubt that after this podcast. Well, I, nobody me, has I, do, I do care. I mean, sometimes I bitch and moan and groan and complain, <laughs> but I do care. I truly, I mean, I want all my patients, I mean- Ideally, okay, given an ideal world, I want to see all my patients just once every six months. I don't want to have to talk to them. I don't want to have to, you know, communicate with them as long as they're doing perfectly fine. If I see them twice a year, that's all that I want. That's my goal. Well, well I just, I'm oh, sorry, Danny. I, I just want to uh, quickly, the, the, uh, the links for everybody, because if, if, I think a lot of people may be thinking, well, how do I contact Dr. Laufer, right? So again, Dr. Moses A. Laufer can be found at holtorfmed.com. That's H-O-L-T-O-R-F-M-E. 
I said that wrong, H-O-L-T-O-R-F-M-E-D.com. And there's a phone number, there's a request for an appointment on there, and you can, and you can uh, suggest Dr. Moses Laufer as your doctor or recommend that. Danny, your social links, right? I think your Instagram.com slash Danny Tiger, your handle is at D-A-N-I-T-Y-G-R. So if people want to follow you, I mean, you are an amazing, amazing presence out there advocating for this community. So we, you both are two powerhouses. I mean, you're literally wearing a Lime Warrior t-shirt right now. People can't see it, but I know you're pointing to it. You're wearing a Lime Warrior t-shirt, which is, which is amazing. I saw it, yeah. And uh, is, is there any other contact information, Dr. Laufer or Danny, you want to share about yourselves? No. Uh, you know, I, I can't think of anything else. Well, I just don't want Dr. to hate me because I know he wants to retire someday. But on behalf of the entire Lyme community, I thank you for not doing that yet because okay. we need you so much. We need your wisdom. What, what, Danny, what would I do if I retired? I'd go crazy. And my wife would go <laughs> crazy. She'd, she'd kick me out of the house so quickly. It would make my head spin. So, you know, as long as I still enjoy what I do, I'll continue to do it. So, yeah, I still enjoy what I do. I still think, I, I still think I'm making a difference. So I'll continue to do it. You absolutely are. And you have in my life from personal experience, but thank you so much for everything you shared on the podcast. You are affecting so many more people than you realize. And yeah, we just I'm love glad you. I was, uh, I'm glad I, I was a little bit of help. So I appreciate Oh man, that. you, you were more than a little bit of help. You were a whole lot of help. Okay. And on behalf of Danny, Rich, myself, but more importantly, the entire chronic Lyme community, we want to thank you for everything you shared with us that is help giving people tips and tricks to heal in their own journey, but also providing hope. Your story of hope was so powerful and inspirational. And I think that I don't want to lose sight of that. You provided so much hope and tips and tricks, which is super rare for this podcast. So I just want to thank you for that, Dr. Laufer. Danny, thank you for recommending this podcast interview and helping us coordinate it. I mean, you are the mastermind behind this. Everybody listening knows Danny orchestrated this whole thing. She scheduled the whole thing. Okay. I mean, she's Danny's the, the brains behind the operations here. Okay. So thank you both so much.